And now it's time for Rodney Radio with Big Tuna Bill Giesland, Pro Bass Anger, Stan Vandenberg, Hopalong John Cassie, and Wendy Tochahara. Hey, if you're a sports enthusiast and you like deep sea fishing or you love to wade a high Sierras or Alaska stream, or if you just like to take the kids to the local lake and dangle a worm for a trout or a crappie, this is the show for you. We talk about bass tournaments, saltwater tournaments, we have fish reports, and we'll give you information on how to and where to get in some of the best fishing in Southern California, Baja, Mexico, Alaska, really all over, and we're going to talk about some of the fishing trips we have scheduled where you can join us and see why we love what we do. We have some fantastic guests tonight, and on our upcoming shows, we'll talk to some of the top bass pros in Southern California, and we'll have reports from local lakes and the saltwater boats fishing off our coast. It's all right here, right now on Rod and Reel Radio, the best place on the radio to get information about fishing opportunities all over the United States. Hey, Bill, let's get on to our guests over here. I, I, we brought on a couple of special guests uh, all the way from Dallas, Texas. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of us have used in the past is the slow lunar tables. And, uh, you know, a lot of us only have the opportunity to go out and fish and hunt when we have the opportunity to do it. Other people in the past years have used the Soul Lunar Tables as their Bible and when to go out and, and and get their their prey. And I thought I'd bring on a couple of experts to tell us a little bit about how does the technology that came about in the 1930s, how's that technology germane to things that we're doing today? So I've asked Red Cochran and Jake the Snake Porter from Red Snake Enterprises in Dallas, Texas, that are, hey, they're authorities on the Soul Lunar Tables, and they've taken it to the next level. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But Red and Jake, I want to welcome you to the show. Welcome to Ron Real Radio. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. We're hey. excited. Hey, thank you very much, guys. Uh, you're speaking to Stan Vandenberg in the uh, L.A. studios, and then you've got Bill and John here in San Diego. And I guess my first question to you is, uh, give us a little bit of history about the Soul Lunar Tables, and, and actually, what are they? I mean, uh, you know, are they are they the real thing, or are they kind of like astrology and phone reading and everything else like that? Well, those are those are great questions. Um, the Soul Lunar Tables were originated in the 1930s by a, a, a guy who was a sports writer and an avid outdoorsman. His name was John Alden Knight, and uh, just over a lifetime of hunting and fishing, you notice that the fish and game, regardless of whether they're freshwater fish or saltwater fish or deer or squirrels, he uh, he noted that they seemed to be more active at different times of the day and that it was always a different time. And so um, he examined, I think, 33 different variables, including all types of weather phenomenon and, and uh, sun and moon and tides and so forth, and he narrowed it down to, to two major um, or two main Things that uh, were imp- that were impacting the game activity, and those were determined to be the, the position of the sun and the moon. And so he he came up with this theory that he called the saw lunar theory. So it's the, the sun and moon, and um, and that's kind of the basis of his theory. Did he? This is Stan. Uh, did when he did that, he was in a particular area of the world, and he has a uh, he has a setup that you can go further east or further west and take so many minutes off and then you do the same thing north and south well when he came up with this theory he he noted that the the best times to go fishing were when the moon was directly overhead or directly on the other side of the earth where it's underfoot hmm. and then also when it when it rises and sets and so it's actually based on longitude 
and um, it should be the same for just about any any uh, latitude north or south, um, but but it varies by longitude. Huh. Well, let's it, talk. Go ahead, go John. Ahead, Stan. No, well, let's talk about that. some of the specific ways that the tables work. First of all, what influence does does the sun have? Uh, a, do the tables indicate in in the, the feeding? I guess it is of uh, of fish and game. Well, according to to, to Mr. Knight, uh, it's the the, com- the combined gravitational influence of the sun and the moon, which again are what cause the the tides. And and these solar uh, periods roughly correlate with with tide times, and so the, the, the periods when you have the most uh, intense activity is when these gravitational forces on the Earth are, are the strongest, and that's when the, the moon is directly overhead or, or, uh, or, start, or rising or setting. And then, and then how about, again, with the, with the moon? Is, is it the same kind of thing with the moon? Because obviously, uh, you know, we see the moon at night. We hardly see the moon at, uh, during the daytime, uh, or it appears very faint. Uh, what is the influence of the moon uh, when it comes to the tables? I, I think the moon is equally, if not more, uh, involved in things. There was an interesting uh, study by a biologist at Northwestern University, Dr. Brown, who basically took oysters from the Atlantic Ocean and brought them to Chicago, and he put them in a dark tank, and for about a week and a half, the oysters kept opening at times that were equivalent to the tidal times on the Atlantic, but about two weeks afterwards in this dark tank, the oysters began to open and close at times that corresponded to the moon being directly overhead in Chicago. He also went on and and ran that same study on rats and found that rats that were put in a dark cage essentially were twice as active when the moon was directly overhead or underfoot as they were at other times of the day. So this was sort of some empiric evidence that, that provided some actual, you know, factual science behind behind this theory. Hmm. Now, I know the, uh, the tables use uh, such terms as majors and minors and things like that. What, what exactly do those mean? Well, the major periods occur when the moon's directly overhead or directly over, uh, directly underfoot, and um, this is when when the fish and game activity seems to be the strongest. That the length of the time that the that the fish and game are active is also a little bit more prolonged around those major times, and then the minor times correspond to when the the sun, I'm sorry, when the moon is either setting or rising, and and um, and those last last about half as long as the major periods. How long is the major period versus how long is the minor? Well, uh, John Alden Knight's book uh, called Moon Up, Moon Down, it, he theorized that they lasted anywhere between two and three hours. Hmm. Um, and so then the, the minor times would last, you know, half, half as long. There's actually, the for the purpose of simplicity, particularly on our iPhone application, the, the major minor periods are, are roughly the same throughout the month, but if you look at them, and, and actually calculate these periods, there's more game and fish activity during a new moon or a full moon, and so the major periods will actually be longer uh, during those periods and shorter uh, during the other cycles of the uh, the lunar phase. Hmm. That so, would make sense to me. Are there major and minors every day? I mean, uh, or could it, like, skip three or four days and then all of a sudden – uh, you've got this major activity coming along, or is there normally pretty much a predictable time uh, each day that there will be a major and minor? 
Well, the major and minors occur each day, and normally there's there's two majors and two minors. But because the lunar cycle is 29 and a half days, and the average uh, uh, month in the, in, uh, for Earth is uh, 30 and a half days, um, there is one day each month where the moon doesn't rise, and so therefore there's there's not a um, a minor period associated with that. And if it doesn't rise, then it doesn't pass directly overhead. And so there's also a day where there's not a, uh, a major period. So there, there are four days each month that will only have three solar periods. Now, uh, when, you're, when you're using the tables, and we're going to talk about how you guys have taken this to the, uh, the next degree, but when you're using the tables, what part does weather have to do with uh, uh, figuring out when, when the best majors and minors are? Well, clearly it plays a, a major role is the answer. And, and everybody knows that, you know, Barometric pressure plays a huge role in terms of how active fish are going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of comes under the, the art of hunting and fishing. And, and, and the sole lunar tables are not the silver bullets that are going to tell you the perfect time to go out and, and, and shoot the deer or catch the fish. It's just going to provide you with the best times. But barometric pressure, storm fronts, anything like this will have a huge impact on how, on how active the, the game is. I, you know, we use that, uh, well, in bass fishing, it's been one of those things we started utilizing way back when, you know, you kind of give it the once over lightly, we're all looking at the moon phase uh, to find out whether the fish are going to be active early or later in the afternoon, because it does have an effect, and that combined the knowledge of what we're we're targeting and how we're, we're fishing, uh, it gives you that little piece of the puzzle that you know you've got a better shot at catching fish especially if you're targeting how and where during that period of time, if you can utilize it, and depending on the day, it actually can make a huge difference. I actually have one of those Casio watches that, that uh, during the day it will show you that they have little fish that show up, one, two, oh, four, yeah. uh, and I think they did that along the lines with the lunar tables, which I use it all the time now. It's just one of those things that becomes a tool. I think that's exactly right. It's just one more sort of uh, thing in your arsenal to make your hunting or fishing trip more successful. Yeah, I was, we, we, my buddy actually got one first, and and he had uh, said, you know, it's getting at the time the fish are starting to show up, and we started checking that against the the tables, and they they come up and correspond just about the same time, and it gives you just a hint that you know if they're not here, let's go try back where. We know that they've been active and see if that, that fish comes up in the, the area over here. And a lot of times on the ocean, and you can kind of play the game and look back to see when you were getting bit, look at the watch and find out if that's a lunar uh, high spot for the day or, you know, major or minor. And a lot of times it does correspond. I, it, I think that's a, it's a pretty amazing thing. But, you know, after you've been involved with fishing or, or hunting, either way, it, nature works off. Uh, its own time schedule, and you kind of have to be there when it goes off. Absolutely. Well, hopefully the tables uh, tell you when it's going to be time to go off. You know, we we talk a lot about fishing on this show and not not a whole lot of hunting, but are the tables as useful for people that are going for upland game or deer or whatever it is? Uh, are they as useful and uh, for those type of hunters as they are for fishermen? Absolutely. You know, when, when, when John Alden Knight came up with this theory, he, uh, he said that it doesn't matter what kind of fish or what kind of animal, that, that all of nature adheres to the, these, uh, this biological clock. And so 
the way that the that Snake and I decided to make a, an iPhone app uh, using the iSolander tables is we were we go deer hunting every year and we were sitting down looking at our uh, pictures from our game cams and uh, there were these you know nice uh, ten point bucks showing up at, at really odd hours at you know one in the afternoon or eleven in the morning and and uh, not not at, you know at dusk and dawn like you think they would and so we went back and we started looking at the when the Solander times occurred for that day, and, and we were blown away by the number and the percentages of, of deer that were active uh, in unlikely times, or seemingly unactive times, but they corresponded exactly with the Solander tables. So, well, well we're uh, we're speaking with Red Cochran and Jake the Snake Porter from uh, Red Snake Enterprises, and. We've been talking about a technology that's been around since uh, uh, the mid-1930s, uh, the Soul Lunar Tables. Hi, I'm Pat McDonald, and I've got some great news. The Hall family shows are back. The Bart Hall Show, February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds, is San Diego's biggest fishing show, its biggest boat show, its biggest outdoor recreation event in four years. Acres of fishing tackle, boats, fishing, and hunting travel and outdoor adventure. Come celebrate 75 years of Hall shows with a full day of family fun. The Bard Hall Show, February 16th to the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Hi, Roland Martin here. I'd like to tell you a little about Gary Yamamoto and the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait Company. It all started with an idea, then a dream, and in 1983, the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait Company was formed. If you know Gary Yamamoto like I do, and I've known him since 1983, you know he has a passionate love for the sport of fishing. That love is only matched by his obsession to design and produce the highest quality soft plastic fishing lures on the market today. Every bait Gary makes is inspected by hand. Today, more than 2.5 million packages of bait are shipped worldwide. On behalf of Gary and his staff, he wants to thank his customers for thinking so highly of his products and wishing you the great success of the sport of fishing. Whether you fish for fun or fish the tournament circuits like I do, you'll honor Gary for making Gary Yamamoto custom baits a key part of your fishing experience. Take it for me, Roland Martin. When I'm in need of a go-to bait, my first choice is a Gary Yamamoto custom bait. The perfect day is my family and I on the boat out on the waterway. I love it. Nothing but sun, snacks, fishing, and of course, life jackets for everyone. Save the ones you love. Life jackets save lives. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one fishing, hunting, and shooting sports retailer, now has 28 locations. Turner's is your one-stop shop for fishing tackle, hunting gear, and everything for shooting sports. Turner's offers a full selection and unmatched prices on the gear you need. Whether you're planning a fishing trip with the family or chasing giant tuna, Turner's highly skilled staff will make sure you have the gear for your next adventure. Visit turners.com to find a Turner store near you and be sure to join the Turner's Discount Club to get weekly ads and specials right to your inbox. Turner's Outdoorsman, your one-stop shop for all your fishing needs. Gotta love California in the summer. Just remember, COVID is still with us. So if you're going to the water, plan ahead. Follow local public health guidelines and make sure everyone wears a life jacket. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Welcome back. Hey, we're talking to Red Cocker, Jake the Snake Porter. Oddly enough, Red Snake Enterprises. Yeah. Uh, you know, for years the question was, you know, 
You, are you a loony? Are you a moony or not? Do you believe in the moon phases or not? And I think we've gotten past that because because the soul lunar charts really do work. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, we, uh, you know, in fact, we're such firm believers of it that we uh, decided to, to bring the the solar tables into the 21st century and created a an iPhone app called iSol Lunar that allows users to to check those solar times on the go. Uh, they're portable. You don't have to rely on a newspaper or a magazine and uh, or an internet connection. As long as you've got your phone with you, you're able to to look up those times and look them up for anywhere worldwide. Now that's that's uh, kind of interesting. What did uh, what kind of and I don't want you to give any way secrets, but you know the the soul lunar tables are you know are so vast. Are you constantly having to put this information into the app, and uh, how are you figuring out for someone that might be a user up in uh, Newport, Maine, as opposed to someone that's down in Cabo San Lucas? How do, how how does the app kind of uh, does it adjust for itself? That? It, it, it's actually easier than it would sound. I mean, the, the calculations are all available, and basically all you need to know is, is the astronomical uh, information for any given longitude. And so we actually pull our astronomical data from the uh, United States Naval Observatory server, which is free for anybody. And so on the iPhone application, when you enter in your zip code or your postal code, that's referenced against the database. And that information is basically just put into the equation that then populates the, the appropriate times for your uh, geographic location. Like Spencer said, that that's available anywhere in the world. This will automatically, within a matter of seconds, give you the, the predicted solar inner times for the next five years. Well, and it doesn't make any difference if you're you know in Michigan or you're in Mexico as far as you know the north and south of it. It's, it's the time during the day. As uh, as the moon goes around, or the sun goes around the Earth. Now, if you change locations, uh, can you change that uh, information on your on your uh, on your iPhone and and have the solar lunar tables uh, change uh, accordingly? Right, I saw lunar. Uh, the app allows you to to enter in multiple locations and save those. And so, uh, if you change locations, Fantastic. you need to to enter in the new location. But um, but yeah, it'll, it'll save all that information, so you can you can pull it back up. What if you don't have a zip code and you're on a boat uh, 700 miles from San Diego? <laughs> well, one of the other features of of, uh, of the app is that uh, it'll use the GPS location of your phone, and it'll take those uh, GPS coordinates and send it to the U.S. Uh, naval site and, and extract the data that way. So as long as you've got a phone reception, you're able to to update uh, your location. Um, with the with the automated GPS feature wow. that's in every single iPhone. So even if uh, let's say you don't have phone uh, reception, if uh, ahead of time you're going to be leaving on a trip, and let's say you're know you're going to be 300 miles off of Cabo San Lucas or something like that, if you interpretate that longitude and latitude, you can put that in, and that can give you a pretty good idea of. Uh, um, What's happening at the time, but obviously you have to have phone. Or does it automatically get it off your GPS? It, it can get your location from the GPS. There However, you if you're you know 500 miles offshore, odds are you're not going to have a cell signal, so you won't be able to populate the the solar lunar calculations. Now you're right, since we have the the ability to to, to see into the future, as it were, for the solar lunar times. I mean, because this is all astronomical, theoretically. 
we can predict the solar lunar times for the next billion years if we want to. So you're right. If you're planning a trip for tomorrow or, or six months from now, you can go ahead and, and get those tables ahead of time and have them with you. Yeah. That sounds good. Well, we're, we're talking to Red Cochran and Jake DeSink Porter. They're from Red Snake Enterprises out of Dallas, Texas. And we started off talking a little bit about the history of the Soul Lunar Tables. And now what, uh, uh Red and Jake have, uh, done is they've created, uh, an app called iSolunar.com where you can actually, uh, get an app and, and get the Soul Lunar Tables for almost literally anywhere in the world you're fishing. Now, how does someone go about starting the process of uh, uh, finding the app and uh, checking it out to see if, if it's what they want and then actually subscribing to your service? Well, uh, we have a website. It's uh, Um and uh, there's information there about the app, uh, about the Solinar theory to kind of to, to educate people and then, um, there's a link that allows you to download it from uh, Apple's uh, I- iTunes store. And it's currently only available for the iPhone, but we are looking at expanding it to other smartphone smartphone platforms like the Droid and, and BlackBerry. Good idea. I'll tell you, that's not a, that, that's a good thing to have. Uh, if, you've, if you're an avid fisherman um, and you want your best shot at catching fish, uh, you use every aspect that you can find to make that happen. Uh, and as a tournament fisherman, a lot of the guys know when the when the uh, majors and the minors are during a day, so they are, are positioned to get the best shot at catching the fish. Uh, if it's not a morning whack, you know, and you can get them quick uh, and they kind of disappear, then you've got to plan your day around, all right, what's the next best guess? Because a lot of times that's what it is. You're, you're, you just got to be ahead of the time and ahead of the fish or ahead of the game, and knowing that that's pretty wild that the deer actually started moving with with a cylinder table. Also, I guess if there's not pressure on them, that would even have a, a huge uh, amount uh, of influence. But with pressure, hunting pressure, that might change a bit. But you still got to utilize that knowledge. That's good yeah. stuff. Absolutely. You know, we were. Uh, Snake and I were out in uh, West Texas on a dove hunt uh, two weeks ago, and um, we were out there, and the birds were flying pretty good all afternoon. And at about five o'clock, they just, the birds just stopped. There just wasn't a bird in the sky, and we went back and we looked at ice all in her uh, on our phones, and sure enough, it said that the major period was ending at five o six that day. And um, you know, it, it just never ceases to amaze either one of us, um, and it's not fail safe. I mean, there's times when 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 you can't predict nature and, and fish and game have a mind of their own, but I tell you what, I'd I'd rather have this this in my uh, in my tackle box and uh, have you know one leg up on on uh, on a chance of you know having a successful day than than to not have it. But I think it's just smart. You know, you use every tool that you can to give yourself the best chance to be successful, whether you're hunting or fishing. Uh, but to have the availability, you know, even duck hunting, I've got to see how that works this year, come to think of it, because I've not really played that game. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I've learned a lot here listening, because and we've been utilizing the, the little booklet, and you kind of look and see where you're going to be and about the time, and you know uh, when your chances are the best according to the tables. For your fishing success, that's our prime, been my primary target. But I think I'm gonna have to 
kind of change gears here when the when the ducks are coming and see. Yeah, let us know. We'll be interested to to hear how it works for duck hunting. There's a couple other neat features of the app. It's got a trophy room where you can take a picture and enter your catch information, the location, the size, whatnot, and uh, also it's got a weather feature where you can look up some of the basic weather, uh, the current conditions, forecast, and barometric pressure. So. Um, we're continuing, continually trying to add features and, and make this uh, what our customers want, and it's um, you know it's like trying to hit a moving target, but, but we're plugging away at it. Now, you know what I was really surprised to see, uh, read and talking with you when we initially uh, got together, is how quickly this particular side of yours has gained in popularity. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, Snake and I had this idea a year or so ago uh, and started kind of working on it and, um, you know, got this app put together and, and launched it in April. And uh, within, I think, six weeks, it had reached the top 100 uh, rated uh, sports apps on, on iTunes. And then this, this week we broke into the top 10. So I think uh-huh. word of mouth has a lot to do with it. We uh you know, we tell everybody we, we get a chance to what we're doing, and, and everybody's been enthusiastic. And so, you know, when, when, when something works and something's good, usually people are excited about it. And so we're, we've been pleased with our customers' responses. Okay. Now, you know, in the couple of minutes that we have left here, we're talking with Red Cochran and Jake the Snake Porter from uh, Red Snake Enterprises. We, we were talking about the Soul Lunar Tables, but we're all talking about a, an app now that uh, Red Snake Enterprises has come up that you can use on your iPod, and you can click in almost anywhere in the world you're going to be or want to be and, and get the major and minors from when the fishing or hunting are going to be the best. Guys, again, uh, uh, tell us how's the best way to come along and subscribe to your service, and and what are they going to pay for this? Because I've been to your site. There's a lot of stuff on there. It it, it looks like there's a lot to give. So what what do you charge for us to come aboard with you? Well, you know, we thought when we were initially building this about all the different ways, and there are, there are other online sites that offer you know, subscription fees on a monthly or an annual basis, and, and quite honestly, just for logistical reasons, we basically decided that we were going to offer this for a flat one-time fee, and it's basically five bucks. It's four ninety-nine. It's not. Oh, <laughs> jeez. I mean, cool. it, it's quite honestly nothing. You know, as for for fishermen, I mean, that's the that's the price of a good lure, basically, and to have this in your pocket for the rest of your fishing life for five bucks is a pretty good deal, and and we know as as avid hunters and fishermen ourselves that, you know, we're kind of gadget guys that we figured that there's a lot of other sportsmen out there who, who like gadgets and, and 499 seemed like kind of a, a, a steal for what we're offering. And I think, as, as we've talked about, we've had a pretty good response. There have been a lot of folks out there who have been really happy with the product, and I think Red's exactly right in that word of mouth is primarily the thing getting out right now. Okay, well, again, uh, why don't you... Uh and I think you told us once, but let us know again. How's the best way to get a hold of you, to get an example of what the app looks like, and then to jump aboard? Sure. The, you can go to the website, which is www.i-sawlunar.com, and it's got a bunch of general information and screenshots. There is a direct uh, a link to the iTunes account, or you can go directly to the uh, Apple iTunes App Store and if you go to the sports category, you'll find us in the top ten. If you can search for I Saw Lunar, it'll pull it right up. And basically, you just click on the app, you pay your five bucks, and it's 
is yours for good. Well, Red Cochran, Jake Porter from Red Snake Enterprises. Hey, thanks a lot for uh, giving us some information that uh, hey, the, the soul lunar tables aren't like in the same category as maybe astrology or palm reading Lord. and how you've taken this technology <laughs> into the 21st century. I appreciate you guys giving up a little bit of your uh, day to be with us and letting our audience know about what seems to be absolutely a fantastic uh, application that you set up here. Thanks for being with us, guys. Great stuff. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks a bunch. Hi, I'm Pat McDonald here to tell you that the Hall Shows are back. Bart Hall Shows February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds and March 29th through April 2nd at the Long Beach Convention Center. Share the passion of outdoor recreation as we celebrate 75 years of Hall Shows family fun. Hi. This is John, and I'd like to invite you to the new Angler's Arsenal location in Lakeside, California. We've put together a staff of experts that will help you find the tackle and gear you need at a price you can afford. We carry all the major brands, and if you need custom work done, we can do that for you with both rods and reels. How about servicing your old equipment? No problem. We can do it quickly, easily, at a price you can afford. We also do custom hand-poured plastics through Western Plastics. Design the lure of your dreams and catch the fish that have been getting away. So come and visit us in Lakeside. We're at 12255 Woodside Avenue. Or you can visit us at anglersarsenal.com. If you need to call us, we're at 619-466-8355. See you there. There's nothing more peaceful than fishing. Just me, my pole, and some bait. Oh, and my life jacket, of course. I like fish, but I don't want to end up at the bottom of the water with them. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Are you looking for a quality fishing experience out of Cabo San Lucas for you, your family, and friends, but are a little set back with what charter company to choose? We urge you to use American and family-owned Lands and Charters. Lands and Charters offers the passengers affordable and all-inclusive services on a variety of vessels and trips. Fish with the latest of fishing gear while experiencing the hospitality of a long-time-owned family business. Go to LensAndCharters.com to see all of their vessels and amenities available. Call Cobble Greg or Jenny at 800-281-5778 when you're ready for an action-packed Cabo fishing experience. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fishing Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization? But you just don't know who to contact. Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419. Or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419. Or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Hi, I'm Pat McDonald here to tell you that the Hall Shows are back. Bart Hall Shows February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds and March 29th through April 2nd at the Long Beach Convention Center. Share the passion of outdoor recreation as we celebrate 75 years of Hall Shows family fun. And I, I tell you, it is a pleasure to introduce this gentleman to you. Bill and I first did an interview with this guy back at ICAST at about four or five years ago. It was absolutely one of the most fantastic interviews I think we'd ever done. It was really great. 
and uh, so we're going to we're going to introduce them again now without further ado. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever known any brand name in the fishing industry, this is one you'll probably recognize. I'd like to introduce everyone to Mr. Gary Loomis. Gary, welcome to Ron Real Radio. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I'm excited excited to be on it. You know, Gary, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but uh, uh, basically, let, let's just talk a little bit about, obviously, we uh, we haven't gotten you at home yet. What, what are you doing? There's other things you do besides fish. Tell us what you've been doing today. Well, uh, this is uh, with elk season here in, uh, in Oregon. I have a duck place that's uh, 500 acres just across the Columbia River, my Deer Island. And uh, we was over there duck hunting and elk hunting, and we just finished up uh, today with our elk and uh, heading home. Good deal. Right. Well, you know, when it comes to rod building, Gary, I know you're not doing now the you know the same thing that you were doing when you first started on out the, when it comes to, to rods. But I've got to tell you, just talking about your life. And the way you started in fishing rods, you know, there's some great brand names in the country, but the name G. Loomis is probably one of the names that is outstanding when it comes to quality, perfection, and uh, and craftsmanship of any of those throughout the country. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It was, uh, everybody said thanks for building great rods for them. To tell you the truth, I built them for me. I just built too many of them, so I had to sell some of them. <laughs> uh, what a problem. I, I was a machinist by trade, and so being a machinist, I knew a good machine from a poor machine, and I fished all my life, and I knew a good rod from a poor rod, so there would be no reason to build a poor rod when I could build a good rod. <laughs> so well, you know, that's really that, that was really the driving force. Uh, of, of doing it was uh, because I like to fish and I want to fish with the best equipment. But in doing that, I met a lot of the great fishermen of, of um, my times, you know, through the 70s and 80s and 2000s, and and uh, they liked the stuff. So working with the best in, in the area that they're in, whether it was bass or steelhead or salmon or fly fishing, you know, when you're take the very best they do know the difference between good and poor too and uh, make them smile uh, that was that was my big payment we were talking with gary uh we caught him in a rainstorm on a cell phone coming on back from uh, a hunt but uh, he has found a landline to get on and hopefully we can establish a good connection again gary are you high and dry yeah, and I really apologize. I I don't know if it's I really planned on being being home, so I didn't try it on a cell phone. But I got waylaid coming home. Well, Gary, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate your persistence and, and trying to get on the the phone with uh, Wendy, Stan, and myself uh, on Rod and Real Radio. Where I appreciate you taking the time to come with us. We talked a little bit about uh, you know your love of fishing, but let's talk specifically like. Where and when was the first fishing rod made that you had any involvement with? Well, the first one that I had involvement with was uh, the 1965. Uh, 
I found summer run steelhead in the north in, in the Klamath River. And uh, started fishing them about the latter part of May. And these were a new fish for us because uh, uh, the, they had put in the new dam on the Columbia River and it had a high nitrogen flow. And they was afraid they was going to lose all of their summer steelhead that went up above, above Bonneville. So they planted some of the lower rivers with summer steelhead, but didn't tell anybody about it. So if it didn't work, then they, you know, they would nobody would know about it. So anyway, about May 28th, I found these summer steelhead, bright, mean, tough fish. I've never been on any kind of drugs, but I'm sure they're not any addic- more addictive than summer steelhead are. So anyway, I started fishing them uh, seriously through May, June, and got into July. And uh, the uh, water started to drop down, so we we had to drop down and pound test the line uh, to get them to even the bite because the water was clearing up. And as we did, I found out real quickly that you take 10-pound test, you wrap around both hands, you put your hands out in front of you, and you, tr- and you pull on it, it's pretty hard to break. But if you put your hands together and snap it, it snaps pretty easy. So it wasn't the pull that broke the fish off, it was the shock. So I decided what I needed to do was to have a rod that had uh, uh, more shock absorbance to it. So I went down about a nine-foot, six-weight fly rod, being a machinist, drilled the handle out, extended the handle, cut off a bunch of guides, put on new guides, and I ended up with a ten-and-a-half-foot long, light rod that I could handle these so anyway, I was fishing, well, I fished every, every night. I fished the uh, latter part of May, all of June, all of July, all of August, till the 7th of September, missed three nights of fishing. That was weekend, weekdays, holidays. Left work at 4.30, got on a river at 11 minutes to 5 and fished till dark. So I got pretty good. And I Dedication. fished one stretch of river of about two miles. So I knew every single place that a fish rested so i'd walk down to the river and this is this is how i got into making fishing rods i got down to the river and i'd kind of be in polite you know i'd wait till they, they fished and ask them if it was okay if i made a couple casts and they said okay so this one evening i made the first cast hooked to fish it came over towards you know fought it fought it came over towards the bank put my boot under it threw it up on the bank snapped it off in midair, tied on another hook as I walked back up to the top of the hole, made another cast, hooked another fish, did the same thing, picked them up and started for the car. This one guy says, hold it, hold it, hold it. <laughs> what? what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going home. No, 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 no. He says, what, what are you doing? He says, we get off a half hour off early of work when we come down here fishing to get here before you do. We thrashed the heck out of this hole. We may hook one, we may not hook one. You walk down, make two, three casts, catch your two fish, and go home. Now, what are you doing different? I said, well, first of all, you know, you've got the typical steelhead rods that you're fishing with. You're fishing with 12, 15-pound test line. I'm fishing four-pound test line, and I've got a long shock absorber that I can handle it. I get a better a better presentation, a better drift, and and I know where the fish are laying. He said, where'd you get that rod? 
I said, well, I bought the main rod, but then I made it into what it is. I said, well, can I buy one? He said, no, no, no. He says, uh, can I buy yours? I said, no, no. He can't buy my wife, my dog, my kids. You should not buy him a fishing rod. <laughs> and uh, he says, well, make me one. And I said, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't make rods. I just fish. <laughs> he said, well, come on. Make me one. How much you got invested in that? I said, well... I got 35 bucks in it when I, that's how much fiberglass fly rods were in those days. 35 bucks in, I got about six hours in getting it to this condition. Well, he was a contractor. And he said, I'll give you 100 bucks for it. I said, no, I don't sell rods. But I got to tell you, in the back of my mind, I was a journeyman machinist running a machine shop, and I made 97.20 take home a week. Wow. Hmm. So he says, okay, I'll give you 150 bucks for it. I says, listen, I don't want to sell it. I'm not selling rods. I don't sell my my wife, my kids, my dogs. I don't sell. I just don't. I just don't do that. I'm I'm just fish. He says, I'll give you 200 bucks for it. I said, well, let me get my reel off of it. (laughs) 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 Oh, I sold it. I mean, I never had $200 in my hand in my whole life, you know. Oh, man. So I went right down to Manchester's. I I bought a rod. I went right straight home. I remember that wasn't one of the three nights that I missed fishing because I'd already caught my two fish. I went home. I took my wife's clear fingernail polish, three minute epoxy, and I had it ready to go for the next day. So as I drove back, I drove back there, and I was one. I mean, I fished every night, so I had my own parking place. So I pulls in there. There's a guy parked there, leaning against the car. So I pull in alongside of him and grab my stuff, started towards the river. He says, "Hold it, hold it." I said, "Yeah, can I help you?" He says, "Are you the guy that's selling rods?" I said, "Nope, not me." He says, "Yeah." He said, "The guy that's selling rods parked right here, and I knew you was going to swing right in here." I says, "It isn't me." He says, do you know Al Hellenberg? I said, yes, I know Al Hellenberg. He said, you're selling rods for 200 bucks a piece. I said, let me get my reel off of it. (laughs) 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 How I got into it, but I got a little smarter. I went home and I taught my wife how to make them. And she was making more money than I was for quite a while there. Oh, my gosh. That's how I got into making rods. It It was totally by accident. You know, if uh, you are just tuned in to Ron Real Radio or you tuned in within the past 15 or 20 minutes and you're wondering who we're speaking to, we are speaking to one of the legends in the fishing industry. When it comes to a brand name, there is no brand that ha- that represents quality, craftsmanship, or design better than the G. Loomis uh, name. And we're speaking with Mr. Gary Loomis himself. We're talking about some of the early days on how he got into uh, uh, making rods and reels and... Uh, or especially uh, fishing rods, Gary. I guess if the, if the thing comes, okay, uh, you've you found out how you've got this little uh, sort of like a, a home cottage type of industry. How did you take it to the next level? Well, you know, it it, it was it was I was you know like I said I, when I got into it, I was custom building. And, you know, I was just building them for me, and then I started building them for some of the friends and some of the people around the area that were really good fishermen that knew that uh, knew what they wanted and needed for a rod to do a better job than what the rods that they were using was doing. So what I really did is I started making rods for, for custom builders. 
but but anyway, so so that's that kind of was my at the at the very beginning. That was that was kind of my 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 reason to get into it, and that was to to help out the other fishermen. You know, this is a a group a group sport, <laughs> and uh, so I did that. Well. After, you know, I kind of run the gauntlet of buying rods and then redoing them, you know, you kind of get to the point of time you'd, you'd like to have something just a little bit different, a little bit special that that's kind of far further away from that. So there was a rod plant in Woodland. I, I don't know if you know about it, but Woodland, Washington is probably the, the capita for fishing rods for the whole United States for the last at least 50 years. Uh, at, at one time, there was a rod company here in town, and they made the very first Fenwick rods here in Woodland, Washington. Hmm. And then they sold that factory to to Silk uh, Clock, moved it to Westminster, and that was the beginning of Fenwick. Then he started another little plant called Cascade Rod Company, and later on, he sold that to Lima Glass, and that was Lima Glass's rod pack. So there's been fishing rods built here in Woodland uh, since the 50s. And so this little rod plant that was here, I went down and, and uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to buy some blanks and guides and reel seats. And instead of buying a new rod right off the plant, the shelf, I wanted to make up my own exactly the way I wanted it. So I looked through there, and he says, do you have a dealer's license? And I says, I don't well, I, I guess not. And he said, well, I can't sell to you because we only sell to original manufacturers or distributors or this type of stuff. And I says, oh. I said, I see a, I see a job in here that you guys are doing a lot of. It's a little white rod there. And, yeah, he said, we make 50,000 of those a month for Zebco. And what it really was is gluing a tip on it, gluing a ferrule in the middle of it, gluing a ferrule at the butt, wrapping, I think, three guides on it, finishing it, and that was, that was what they were building for Zebco here at that factory at that time. I says, how many girls do you have gluing those ferrules and that tip on? He says, we have six of them. They do about 300 a day. And I says, um, what if I could make a machine that a girl could do 1,000 a day? Oh, that'd be great. He says, how much would that cost? I had really no idea, so I just said $300 worth of blanks, guides, real seats, all the stuff that they wouldn't sell me. So he says, well, if you can make me a machine that will make for 1000 a day, you'll have no problem buying it, cost anything that you want out of this factory. So I built a machine, and it made 3000 a day. And so for the next four or five years, I built pretty much all new machinery for that rod plant and, and kind of got them into the 20th century uh, in equipment and, and rod building. And that's where I got most of my components. And then uh, they kept Which company was that, Gary? That was Lima Glass. That was, that was about... That was the Posies? I'm sorry? That was the Posies? Yeah, that was uh, yeah. Dick, Dick and Judd Bailey owned that at that time, hmm. and uh, they didn't have much to do with it. They had their uh, Judd Bailey and Company uh, rep group, and they were repping Zebco. That's what those Zebco rods that they were building. 
but they didn't do much with the plant. They had a contract. They were selling all of the seconds. And so, anyway, the guy that was running it, John Severton, he he uh, he got them to hire me. And, you know, geez, I had a really good job. I was 10 years at this machine shop, and I had the keys. And, I, like I said, all the equipment I was building for, for Lima Glass, I was building there after work. And, and it was like kind of like breaking a dinner plate, but they kept trying to get me to go to work for them, and so they finally made a tough deal. So I went to work for them in 1973, mm-hmm. and uh, the first year we was, it was in the industry, it was only fiberglass. So, uh, Gary, Gary yeah. let's, take a, let, let's take a break here because uh, sure. uh, we want to break for uh, a little bit of a commercial message as we do have to pay for this, you know, to, to get you on the air. We're, uh, listen, uh, we're talking with Gary Loomis, uh, the Gary Loomis that you see, uh, G. Loomis, the, uh, you, you fish with his rods. A lot of you, I, I don't think there's fishermen out there that hasn't touched a G. Loomis rod. A lot of us do fish with them. Quality product. We're talking a little bit about how Gary got started in the business. And when we come back, uh, we'll keep on speaking with Gary Loomis. Stan Vandenberg is with me uh, in Los Angeles. Wendy Toshahar, I believe, is still on somewhere. We're all listening. With Gary Loomis, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, his uh, history of fishing rods. But let's take a break. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, I'm Pat McDonald here to tell you that the Hall Shows are back. Bart Hall Shows February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds and March 29th through April 2nd at the Long Beach Convention Center. Share the passion of outdoor recreation as we celebrate 75 years of Hall Shows family fun. Hi, this is John, and I'd like to invite you to the new Angler's Arsenal location in Lakeside, California. We put together a staff of experts that will help you find the tackle and gear you need at a price you can afford. We carry all the major brands. And if you need custom work done, we can do that for you with both rods and reels. How about servicing your old equipment? No problem. We can do it quickly, easily, at a price you can afford. We also do custom hand-poured plastics through Western Plastics. Design the lure of your dreams and catch the fish that have been getting away. So come and visit us in Lakeside. We're at 12255 Woodside Avenue. Or you can visit us at anglersarsenal.com. If you need to call us, we're at 619-466-8355. See you there. It's hot. Time to get to that lake, river, or beach you love. Just remember, COVID is still with us, so plan ahead. Follow local public health guidelines and make sure everyone wears a life jacket. Life jackets save lives. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Have you dreamed of experiencing the world-class in and offshore fishing off the exotic, tropical Pacific coast of mainland Mexico? Why not fish the sailfish capital of the world, Manzanillo, Mexico, with the folks you know and trust, Cedros Outdoor Adventures. In Manzanillo, you can find roosterfish, sailfish, marlin, tuna, dorado, and more, all within 20 miles of the shore. Our friends at Cedros Outdoor Adventures are offering an all-inclusive travel package to Manzanillo that makes your winter fishing dreams a reality for a special price of $21.95. Cedros Outdoor Adventures is a name you learn to trust for safety and value, but these trips are available for a limited time only, starting this fall through March 2021. Learn further trip details and make your reservation at 
cedrosoutdooradventures.com or call at 619-793-5419. And welcome back to Rod Reel Radio on a Sunday night on AM 540 Radio Zion. Hey, if you just are tuning in, we are speaking with Mr. Gary Lewis and uh, Gary Loomis, and what I want to do is I really want to thank John and the folks at North Fork Composites. Uh, that is where Gary is uh, working, and the folks he's helping out right now. But we're we're in a little bit of an earlier stage of Gary's development when it comes to uh, fishing rods. And when we left Gary, we left him uh, uh, working with Lamaglass and uh, Richard Poser there, who uh, uh, you know was working with Lamaglass and, and Gary. If if you will, uh, fiberglass, uh, you know, fishing it for a long time, and then all of a sudden this new material came out called graphite, and you happen to mention a little bit about Fenwick starting it, but tell me, how did you get involved with making graphite rods, and in such a new industry, where did you get your labor from? Well, you know, I went to the to the AFMA show had to have been about 1974, I think, 74, 70, no, yeah, 74 probably. Benwick was the first one there, and they had uh, three rods. They had a bass rod, a fly rod, and a steelhead rod. And how we always have them standing vertically, they had them horizontal, and they had kind of an archway over the top of it that said, Rods of the Future. And uh, they didn't say too much about anything, but... That's, they must have still been hot off the press. And so I went over and I shook them. Like I said, uh, over and above anything else, I'm a pretty good fisherman. And uh, my my eyes lit up, and I mean, I had never, ever in my life felt three rods as great as these three rods were. So I went back to Dick Posey and Judd Bailey, and I says, we got to get into graphite. They said, what's graphite? And I said, I, I don't know, but I know we got to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. I, have no, I know nothing about it other than this is the next material that fishing rods will be made out of. So they went back and sat down and discussed it and came up with no, that uh, that was the first year that they'd made any money in, in the fishing rod industry that I worked for them. And they wasn't going to squander on some unknown material. Well, I don't know. I didn't hear it very well. <laughs> so as soon as I got back from the show, I went to the to Seattle and asked. Lima Glass was in Kent, Washington at that time, and the rod plant was in Woodland, Washington. So uh, I traveled back and forth between Kent and uh, Woodland for five years, twice a week. Uh, so, anyway, I went to the Seattle Library and talked to the woman. I said, I want to know everything about graphite. And so, after we sorted out, you know, graphite and pencil lead and graphite, you put in a lock key and graphite here, and we finally came up with the uh, uh, a graphite filament, new invention. And the only thing that was wrote was one paragraph in a National Geographic a couple months before, it said, Cortal Company has invented a new high-modulus, high-strain fiber, graphite carbon fiber in parentheses. <laughs> I said, well, that's wonderful, but I need more than that to go on. 
But that, that's how new the material was at that time. There was nothing wrote about it. So I thought, huh, got to be somebody that knows something about it. So I figured it had to be Boeing's. So I went to Boeing's and I stood in the in the employment line and everybody could come out through the gate. I asked him, I said, you know anything about graphite? You know anything about graphite? <laughs> so I did that all day or all evening, one evening, and I was about halfway through it the second evening. And one guy said, wasn't you here yesterday? I said, yeah, I was here yesterday. I'll be here tomorrow. I'll be here until somebody in this place knows something about graphite where I can find something about it. And he said, well, I recommend you to go over to Gate C because Gate C is where the engineers come out of, and if anybody knows anything, it'll be them. So Gate C I stood. The fourth guy out of the Gate C was a guy named Harry Matheson. Harry Matheson said, yeah, I know a little bit about it. He says, I am a composite engineer for the SST that Boeing was, was designing and getting ready to build. Uh, in fact, he was one of four composite engineers in the whole world at that time. This gives you an idea how, how early in this it was. So I said, would you like to go to dinner? Would you like dessert? <laughs> about lunch and, and dinner tonight how about breakfast I tell you what I was like a human sponge <laughs> I mean I had a billion questions to ask him and we just got along great and we finally got to the point of time that uh, he said well why don't we make one I said why don't we <laughs> so anyway he just roughly does like I said he was not a Designer engine, I mean, a computer designer engineer, a structural designer engineer. He was a composite engineer. So he knew somewhat about the properties of composites, but he didn't know anything about tubular structures or anything about, about it in a tubular structure of what properties it would need to have. So the first one we made was terrible. <laughs> he says... If what we really need is a structural designer engineer and a computer designer engineer. And so we got those guys, Harry Matheson and Al Fosha, together. And to cut the story short, we, we wrote the only large-scale deflection computer program system in the world at that time that was, um, it could have only been built. There was only three computers in the world that would run the program. And one of them, I think, was 3M and Boeing's and the military. I think that was the three of them. Oh, my God. It actually take a blank horizontally and jerk it to 15 degrees past vertical, stop it any place we wanted, and we could get the ID, the OD, the wall thickness, the modulus, the shear strength, crush strength, bending moment where it break under how many pounds, whether it was overbuilt or weak. And so it really vaulted this above everybody else pretty pretty rapidly. Hey, but, we're speaking, Gary, we're speaking with Gary Loomis. Uh, obviously, we're talking about some of the earlier days of graphite rods. Uh, Gary, we've got to take a top-of-the-hour break. Uh, uh, I hope you're going to be able to stay with us uh, for just a couple of more commercials because we have just barely begun to scratch the surface on the questions and some of the things I'd like to talk to you about your life. So. 
How about uh, we let you go get on uh, some dry clothing after being caught that rainstorm? We'll take a couple of commercial breaks, and let's meet in the middle in just a few minutes. Sounds, sounds good. All right. You're listening to Rod Real Radio. Stan Vandenberg's up in L.A. This is Hopalong John down at Angler's Arsenal in San Diego. we got Gary Loomis on uh, with us from Washington. Uh, you're listening uh, to us on AM 540 Radio Zion. We're going to take a break here for just a couple of minutes, but we'll be right back after these messages. Hi, I'm Pat McDonald, and I've got some great news. The Hall family shows are back. The Bart Hall Show, February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds, is San Diego's biggest fishing show, its biggest boat show, its biggest outdoor recreation event in four years. Acres of fishing tackle, boats, fishing, and hunting travel and outdoor adventure. Come celebrate 75 years of Hall shows with a full day of family fun. The Bart Hall Show, February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one fishing, hunting, and shooting sports retailer, now has 28 locations. Turner's is your one-stop shop for fishing tackle, hunting gear, and everything for shooting sports. Turner's offers a full selection and unmatched prices on the gear you need. Whether you're planning a fishing trip with the family or chasing giant tuna, Turner's highly skilled staff will make sure you have the gear for your next adventure. Visit turners.com to find a Turner store near you and be sure to join the Turner's Discount Club to get weekly ads and specials right to your inbox. Turner's Outdoorsman, your one-stop shop for all your fishing needs. Hi, Roland Martin here. I'd like to tell you a little about Gary Yamamoto and the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bay Company. It all started with an idea, then a dream, and in 1983, the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bay Company was formed. If you know Gary Yamamoto like I do, and I've known him since 1983, you know he has a passionate love for the sport of fishing. That love is only matched by his obsession to design and produce the highest quality soft-plastic fishing lures on the market today. Every bait Gary makes is inspected by hand. Today, more than 2.5 million packages of bait are shipped worldwide. On behalf of Gary and his staff, he wants to thank his customers for thinking so highly of his products and wishing you the great success of the sport of fishing. Whether you fish for fun or fish the tournament circuits like I do, you'll honor Gary for making Gary Yamamoto Custom Baits a key part of your fishing experience. Take it from me, Roland Martin. When I'm in need of a go-to bait, my first choice is a Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait. Are you looking for a quality fishing experience out of Cabo San Lucas for you, your family, and friends, but are a little set back with what charter company to choose? We urge you to use American and family-owned Lands and Charters. Lands and Charters offers their passengers affordable and all-inclusive services on a variety of vessels and trips. Fish with the latest of fishing gear while experiencing the hospitality of a long-time-owned family business. Go to LensandCharters.com to see all of their vessels and amenities available. Call Cobble Greg or Jenny at 800-281-5778 when you're ready for an action-packed Cabo fishing experience. He's not just my fishing buddy. After 30 years, he's a brother, and I'd sure hate to lose him. His bass boat's got nothing to do with it. So I make sure both of us wear a life jacket. Save the ones you love, even if they don't own a fancy boat. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. 
and welcome on Sunday night edition of Rod Real Radio on AM540 Radio Zion. My co-host Dan Vandenberg is up uh, calling us out of L.A. This is Hopalong John uh, talking to you from Angler's Arsenal in San Diego. And with us tonight is the premier maker or designer of fishing rods uh, that probably everyone knows his name or he knows his initials or knows his initial for his first name or whatever it is, Mr. Gary Loomis. Gary, welcome again to Rod and Reel Radio. Thank you very much. Hey, now when we left off before we took the top of the hour break, uh, you were working at Lamaglass. Uh, you had just worked out, sounds like some simple program that could only be run by three computers in the country, one at Boeing, one at uh, 3M, and one uh, at the federal government. Uh, uh, continue the story on the evolution of the graphite rod as uh, as Gary Loomis knows it. Well, it, uh, you know, it, uh, they, they didn't know a lot of properties of graphite in a tubular structure, so the very first thing we had to do was learn how to pull straight tubing so that we could actually build some tubes and put them into three-point bending so that we could see what kind of loads they would take to be able to build a, the, the, the program to strapulate in between. So uh, that was a very interesting thing, too. Um, but we finally got that we finally got that done and and uh, so we started we started building them well you know this was a this was a six months worked eight hours a day in the in the in the blank plant building fiberglass and another eight hours a day in the in the uh, office with the advanced composites group that we put together uh, designing these rods and without looking up and we finally did get Dick to do a contract uh, for them that if we could get 32 rods designed and built ready for the next AFMA show, which we didn't get started too quick. We kind of drug our feet at the beginning, but they would do a contract with them. So we, like I said, we just put in hours and hours and hours. We turned around and we looked up just before we got ready to go to the show and got the rods built and everything else and geez these are these rods that we designed and built were great rods but you know they 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 didn't have what i felt with those three fenwick rods i couldn't understand it for a while i those three rods that that tipped me completely over the top and our rods weren't, I mean, our rods were great rods. I mean, they set the standard, but but they weren't as good as those. But then all of a sudden we found that Fenwick was having 100% breakage. <laughs> hmm. The thing is, is graphite is six times, now graphite has changed over the years, but we're going to go, we're still talking about in the 70s. Graphite was six times stiffer per weight than fiberglass, but it only had half of the strength. So what you could do, you could reduce the material six times, get the same stiffness, and that's what I felt. A rod that was six, weight is a deterrent to performance in a fishing rod, especially when you're talking about sensitivity and casting and accuracy and distance and all of the things that make up a good fishing rod. Uh, Weight is a deterrent. So what I picked up and I felt was something that was six times lighter. No wonder 
I, I, I was over the top on it. Well, what the other problem is, though, is which Fenwick didn't understand was it only has half the strength. So when you reduce the material by 12, you reduce the strength by, or excuse me, reduce the material by 6, you reduce the strength by 12. So we could only reduce it by three times to keep the same strength. So ours were three times lighter than the fiberglass, but it had the same strength as fiberglass. So it took me, it took me, and this is, this is another good story. You'll like this story. The first year, I wasn't selling lima glass graphite fishing rods. I was just trying to sell Fenwick. Or excuse me, excuse me, graphite. Mm-hmm. Because Fenwick in those days was God in the fishing rod industry. And if Fenwick couldn't build graphite, nobody could build graphite. I mean... You know, Fenwick was, heck, I, you had to have a Fenwick rod where, where when I was a young kid fishing or you couldn't stand up around a bonfire. You had to get second-degree heat off of the radiation from standing behind them. I mean, it was the rod. And so what I ended up having to do is I had to forget about trying to sell G. Loomis rods, or excuse me, at that time, Lima glass rods. I had to sell graphite. So what I did is I built me a box, and it was about six inches square, and it was made out of a very, very light, light paneling, a mahogany paneling. And I put a five-pound hunk of lead in the center of it, drilled a hole through the top, put a piece of wire through there, and I would take that out and I would stand at the AFMA show on the corner where there was a 10-foot aisle going both ways, and I'd stand on the corner, and I'd have it tied onto a nine-foot, eight-weight ply rod. And I would have people try to lift the weight in the box to guess how much the weight was for them to be able to lift really hard on a graphite, 90, 96% graphite rod and to see that graphite was really a good material. So I was just really selling graphite. I wasn't selling the rod. I was just trying to, to show them that if graphite was designed and built correctly, it's a great material for... But I had people poke me on the chest and say, hey, if Fenwick can't build it, you guys can't build it. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, for that first AFMA show, I think 836 times I got people to stop, put their name and address down, guess how much weight it was, and we gave the rod, the reel, and the line away at the end of the uh, at the end of the show. So in those days, that AFMA show was in Chicago in June, and and uh, there was literally thousands of people that went through that show. That's when the fly tackle and the all tackle was together. And so the last day on Sunday, it was kind of towards the end of the day. This big tall gentleman came in and flexed the rod, and I told him the story, and he said, yeah, nice rod, Sonny. I'll give you an idea how long ago this was. He said, nice rod, Sonny. I said, no, no, you got to lift the weight in the rod. I said, the rod will take uh, eight and a half pounds in the vertical condition, and the rod is built for 100% efficiency of the, of the rod, and uh, it's 90, 96% graphite, uh, Yeah, 96% graphite, 4% glass. He said, that rod won't take one pound 
and the, he said, do you know which way vertical is? And I said, yeah, I know. Vertical is up and down. And so he flexed the rod a little bit more, and he handed it back. He says, yeah, nice rod. He says, yes. no, no, you got to lift the weight in the box. He says, Sonny, I don't want to break your rod. I said, you won't break the rod. I said, the rod will take eight and a half pounds in the vertical condition. He says, I'll bet you 100 bucks it won't. I said, I'll bet you $500. Well, by that time, we got a pretty good crowd around us. I'm the only one that doesn't know who the guy is at that particular time. So he starts to lift it, and as he started to lift it, I looked over, and it was Ted Williams, the baseball player. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Jesus, he was my idol. I mean, I played Little League Baseball. I knew who he was, you know. But then my alligator mouth kind of got mixed up, and I said, well, Ted, if you can't lift it, I'll lift it for you. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Ted reached over with his other hand. Now, I want to tell you, maybe, maybe... 20% 20% of the men could get the weight off the ground, but when it hit the top of the box, it would just stop. They'd go over and kick the box to see if the box wasn't glued down, but the weight was five pounds, the box was a pound and a quarter, and that extra pound and a quarter, you know, maybe maybe 2% of the people could lift the weight and the box. Well, I got to tell you, when I told Ted, if you, if you can't lift it, I'll lift it for you. He lifted the weight and the box three feet off the ground, set the box down, lifted it up again, and yelled out, this is a heck of a rod. <laughs> set it down, lifted it this is a heck of a rod. Well, I got to tell you, we got through the breakage problem in, 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 in one episode right there because that went around the show and went around the industry in a heartbeat, and that was really the onslaught of Lima Glass being accepted into the industry and very shortly being one of the very big leaders of it. Gary, what did you call that graphite at the time? I know we know names like IM6, IM7, uh, 96% graphite, and everything like that. Did did you have a specification or a name for that? See, I've uh, always tried to tell the truth. And and in that, you know, some of the companies called it uh, Graphite 2, and some of them called it uh, 96%, you know, whatever. Uh, not 90, that's what we called it, excuse me. But I had one company says our our Graphite rods have the sensitivity and the weight of a, oh, no, our, our 100% trademarked Graphite rods, 100% trademark graphite rods have the sensitivity and the lightness and the strength of 100% graphite. Well, what it really was is 75% glass and 25% graphite, but they trademarked 100%. That was the name of them, 100% plus. So, anyway, I named them 98% graphite because it was 96% graphite because it was 96% graphite and 4% glass. Isn't that what Bass Pro Shop used to advertise to back when? That was their. We made we made them for them. (laughs) There you go. Well, you made you made rods for a lot of people there in the beginning. You know, uh, made blanks for 28 other rod companies. Wow. One time was building 3,000 blanks a day. Well, tell me, how did you get from Lama Glass to finally starting your own company? Because I know, you know, the story is amazing because of some of the restrictions that the city of Woodenville put on you for the type of uh, uh, a building that you could work out of. Yeah. Well, it it 
I left Lima Glass and went back to work at Sherman's Machine Shop. And I, I worked there for another 18 months and, and started building uh, another plant, which ended up being Loomis Composites. That was LCI? Yeah, LCI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, a year into that, a guy came, his name was Franklin Chang. And he came over from Taiwan, and he looked around for the person that knew the most in composites in the United States, and 10 out of 10 of them pointed him towards me. So he wanted to do a joint venture in Taiwan. Well, at that time, government thought that we needed to do this 1001 hobby item law. It ended up being, I think, called the Preferred Nation Act now. But they was going to take a 1,000 jobs out of the United States, take them to the foreign countries, get them off their rear, get them working, where we could buy a $10 item for a dollar. And it would make our money go further because they was tired of giving so much foreign aid to these other countries. And so at that time, I thought that that was a pretty good project, too. I didn't know it was going to give all of our jobs away. But but, uh, I thought that was a good deal. But within a year... Uh, of that one, which made it two years at Loomis Composites. Uh, We got the plant up and running. It ended up being the largest graphite plant in the world. But it... What year was that, Gary? That would have been in 1980. Okay. That would have been 1980 to to 1981 or two, right right in that very early 1980. Uh, (laughs) In fact, when Mount St. Helens erupted, they was here with the with the meeting, and I had them on pictures of Davis Peak with the mountain ex- erupting behind them. That's how I remember it. <laughs> wow. So, hey, so anyway, we started we started that, and we built a third of the equipment in the United States, third of the equipment in Japan, a third of the equipment in Taiwan, and assembled it in Taiwan. And I went over and trained them and 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 everything else for fifty percent of the company. And so there was five of us stockholders, and we owned one-tenth apiece, and so we owned 50%, and they owned 50%. But as we went along, it, it, I just had the wrong partners, let's say. And it got to the point of time that they were selling more than we could make, and that meant we wasn't going to be able to fulfill some of the orders that we had taken and I, I just couldn't have my name associated with it. So I walked out of both of the companies. I left both of them and, and uh, went to my wife. I said, I know what I want to do the rest of my life. She says, what's that? And I said, I want to sell everything that we've accumulated in 17 years of marriage, turn it into cash. I want to build my own machinery from the ground floor up and just you and me be partners. She said, well, you're right. I think I'll sit down. (laughs) (laughs) So so she sat down. We discussed it for a couple hours, and she picked out what she was going to get rid of, and I picked out what I was going to get rid of. We sold everything besides the 1981 Chevy Chevette, and I started a six-month ordeal of as many hours as I could work, seven days a week, and I built all of the machinery from the ground floor, because that's what I am, a machinist by trade. I knew it constituted the good manufacturing of a blank, but to tell you the truth, all of the equipment in the industry 
it had to have been designed and built for making something else. It wasn't designed to build and make blank. Mm-hmm. It just it just isn't. It's just you know, it's kind of like well, mowing a hay field with a push mower. It well, just you know, just it wasn't built for that. So anyway, that's how I got G Luma started. I I um I I, I guess we worked along for about five months, and I was doing pretty good getting everything done. My wife come in one day and says, sit down, I want to have a talk with you. And I says, geez, honey, I'm too busy. She says, I think you better sit down. I think we better have a talk. Talk about it. She says, I want to tell you that you have a loving wife, two wonderful kids, and $32.10 left in the bank. <laughs> and I said, okay, I think I'll sit down. So... I sat down, we worked it out, and I had, just to finish up, I had all of this stuff to finish up the, the next Falas machine, but I still had to make a sander. And so we decided that I'd put this last machine together, and I'd go back to work at Sherman's Machine Shop for another year and uh, build my sander, and then the following year I'd go into making blanks. So about three days later I get a call from guys which name in the industry probably eludes a lot of people but shouldn't. And his name is Dennis Hybe. And Dennis mm. Hybe is is Cabela. Mm-hmm. Dick and Judd may own, I mean, Dick and, and Jim may own Cabela's. And they be made the name. But let me tell you, who built Cabela's was Dennis Hybe. He had worked for, he had worked for, um, what was the other big magazine before? Readers. Uh, herders, Herders. Herders, yeah, Jack Herders. Old man Herder for, for four or five or six years, and and then that thing kind of collapsed, and and uh, then he went to work for, for them. So he calls me up, and he says, uh, I hear you got your blank plant ready. I said, well, no, Dennis, not, no. Uh, pretty close, but not ready. I, I said, uh, he said, well, I need blanks. And I said, well, I can build them for you next year. He said, no, no, I need blanks this year. Now, I built blanks for him at Lima Glass and at, at uh, Loomis Composites. And I says, you know, I, 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 I just not ready. Next year, he says, no, 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 Gary, this year. I says, Dennis, I'm missing one machine, and I've got no working capital to get going. He says, how much do you need? I said, well, I, I, I don't know. Can I call you back tomorrow? He said, yeah. So I got my wife over. We sat down. <laughs> we worked some numbers out, and really to buy the machine, to get the mandals, to get the working capital, to get it back up. This is 1982. I needed $50,000. Now, 1982, $50,000, that was, you know. The load. That was a lot of money. And that was when the interest was like 18%. Right, Jimmy Carter days. Yeah, and so uh, I called him back, and you know, instead of just saying, "Well, I need I need fifty thousand dollars to do this," I says, "Geez, Dennis, are you sure I can't wait till next year?" Nope, got to have them this year. Well, that means I got to buy a machine, I got to buy the mandrels, and and this type of stuff. I'm going to need fifty thousand dollars if you're going to want two hundred and eighty blanks a, a a day for for six months. He says, uh, $50,000? And I says, yeah. He says, what's your bank account number? <laughs> oh, man. 
I said, Susie, Susie, what's our bank account number? <laughs> Three days later, the money's in the bank. I never signed a piece of paper. And I was eight days early on sending the first blanks, and I never missed a date. My gosh. And I made blanks for Cabela's for 26 years, I think it was. Oh, my gosh, Gary. You know, uh, we're getting... It happened in America. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting uh, pretty close to our uh, uh, our next break. Uh, we actually dropped one of the breaks because there's still a number of amazing stories that uh, we need to talk to you about and everything like that. But, you know, you built the company into what it was. Uh, it seemed like you were going huckily buck. And then you got some news that you kind of sit down, sat down again, scratched your head, and you got some advice that said, you know, uh, it might be time to sell the company and uh, just go out and enjoy life a little bit. And I kind of want to skip a little bit ahead to that because that was probably one of the most interesting stories that you told Bill and I, and we never got it on uh, on tape. But uh, I'd certainly want to know the the reasons why that uh, Gary Lewis Loomis sold the Rod Company and and why it was that and what happened and and where you stand now on that. So uh, uh, I hope we're going to get a chance uh, to do that. Is that uh, something that a uh, subject you think we could broach? Sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Miner, why don't, why don't we get uh, this bank of commercials going if you can? And uh, what we'll do is uh, we'll run the commercials, and when we get back, we'll talk to uh, Gary Loomis, uh, probably the man when it comes to graphite rods. In the next segment, uh, a lot of us were wondering why Gary just kind of dropped out of uh, sight for a little while and sold a company that seemed to be fairly success, uh, successful. But you got uh, Stan Vandenberg up in the L.A. I'm Hopalong John from Angler's Arsenal in San Diego. You're listening to us on AM 540 Radio Zion. We've got Gary Loomis on for the next uh, 30 minutes or so. But hold on. We've got to take a commercial break. But we'll be right back after these messages. Hi, I'm Pat McDonald here to tell you that the Hall Shows are back. Bart Hall Shows February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds and March 29th through April 2nd at the Long Beach Convention Center. Share the passion of outdoor recreation as we celebrate 75 years of Hall Shows family fun. Hi, this is John, and I'd like to invite you to the new Angler's Arsenal location in Lakeside, California. We put together a staff of experts that will help you find the tackle and gear you need at a price you can afford. We carry all the major brands. And if you need custom work done, we can do that for you with both rods and reels. How about servicing your old equipment? No problem. We can do it quickly, easily, at a price you can afford. We also do custom hand-poured plastics through Western Plastics. Design the lure of your dreams and catch the fish that have been getting away. So come and visit us in Lakeside. We're at 12255 Woodside Avenue. Or you can visit us at anglersarsenal.com. If you need to call us, we're at 619-466-8355. See you there. It's hot. Time to get to that lake, river, or beach you love. Just remember, COVID is still with us. So plan ahead. Follow local public health guidelines and make sure everyone wears a life jacket. Life jackets save lives. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. 
Have you dreamed of experiencing the world-class in and offshore fishing off the exotic tropical Pacific coast of mainland Mexico? Why not fish the sailfish capital of the world, Manzanillo, Mexico, with the folks you know and trust, Cedros Outdoor Adventures. In Manzanillo, you can find roosterfish, sailfish, marlin, tuna, dorado, and more, all within 20 miles of the shore. Our friends at Cedros Outdoor Adventures are offering an all-inclusive travel package to Manzanillo that makes your winter fishing dreams a reality for a special price of $21.95. Cedros Outdoor Adventures is a name you learn to trust for safety and value, but these trips are available for a limited time only, starting this fall through March 2021. Learn further trip details and make your reservation at cedrosoutdooradventures.com or call at 619-793-5419. And welcome back on this Sunday evening to Rod and Reel Radio. Hey, if you're coming down to uh, visit San Diego or if you live in San Diego, need a great place to stay, it's the Cosmopolitan Hotel and Restaurant in Old Town. It's close to SeaWorld. It's close to the zoo. You want to spend a night at the Signet Theater or you just want to go through uh, Old Town, Cosmopolitan Hotel is the place to stay. Great turn-of-the-century style rooms. It's only 10 rooms. It's a bed-and-breakfast type of atmosphere, but you'll feel comfortable, and it is economical. To book at the Cosmopolitan, give them a call at 619-297-1874. And again, we want to remind our listeners that we've got the Rod and Reel Radio special going on with Tommy Gomes at Catalina Offshore Products. Specials coming up with Tommy this week are going to be swordfish, going to be shrimp, there'll be scallops, and there's always plenty of grouper. I stopped by there just uh, on Saturday and picked up the best yellowtail you'd ever want to see. It's all at great prices. But if you get Tommy a call and tell him you're calling from Rod and Reel Radio, give him a call at 619-297-9797. Tell him that uh, the guys from Rod and Reel Radio sent you along. You'll get a 10% discount on that order. You can go pick it up or you can have it shipped to you. And just one more message over here. December 3rd is the Gale Arms 3rd Annual Memorial Lobster Derby. All you have to do is uh, check in at the Outboard Boating Club at around 1 p.m., pay a $25 fee, and you can go out fishing from that time till 9.30. Uh, we're going to pay uh, the biggest lobster, the seven heaviest lobsters. It's going to be a great night of lobster fishing and then also some great food. Uh, it's the Gale Arms 3rd Annual Lobster Derby. Uh, get a hold of us over here at Angler's Arsenal, 800-428-8730, or call Bobby Arms at 619 619- 857-8619 and get into the Gale Arms annual Memorial Lobster Derby. Hey, now with us beside my co-host uh, Stan Vandenberg is Gary Loomis, the innovator of graphite rods and probably the best known name in fishing rods not only in the United States, throughout the world. Gary, welcome back to Ron Real Radio. Yeah, but you, you shouldn't talk about Tommy's down there with me up here, and I can't get down there and get some of that food. No, no, you just give Tommy a call, he'll and ship it to you. he'll ship it out to you overnight. He'll even ship lobsters out to you overnight. We had a little promotion where uh, Mark Marcantonio, who's up from your part of the world there uh, outside of Seattle, won the contest we were running, and we uh, packed up four lobsters and sent them on out to them. So you're never far enough a day when it comes to Federal Express next day. Yeah, so, I know, but it's nothing like going right down there on the wharf and eating it. Uh, there is that it, part. It, it, 
It's about as good as you can get without doing that. Hey, it, that's, that's what I'm good. saying. It's Jesus. Uh, you really got me thinking now. Maybe I have to take a run down there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're speaking with Gary Lewis, and you know, there's so many other, so many things, to, questions to ask him. But one of the things that I wanted him to talk a little bit about because it's the most fascinating story I think I've ever heard is here. Gary had the successful rod manufacturing company, blank manufacturing company. Uh, he had, I don't know, dozens of manufacturers that were using his blanks. Uh, he was cranking them out as fast as he can. And then he got, the, he got the word that maybe it was time to sell the company. And I want Gary to talk a little bit about that. And then also, you told Bill and I about a special trip that you took that was shortly thereafter. And I wonder if you can uh, kind of relate that story on to us, Gary. Both have to be in person to, to, to really appreciate it, but uh, <laughs> my wife ended up with a with a, a, a illness called tularemia. There's there's uh, I think you guys are the ones that caught it down in Larium, California, or something back in '17. But not very many people get it. I'm I'm spending a lot of time at the at the hospital where they're getting her over this, and so she finally decided that I had to have a and I was in perfectly good health. And so to please her, I said, okay, I'll take a physical. So I got a physical, and at the end of it, they said, well, you're in perfectly good health, but we think you got prostate cancer. I said, well, what's that? <laughs> I'm in perfectly good health. I mean, I... Man. And so they said, well, we think you need to have a biopsy. So they took a biopsy, and at the end of the biopsy, they found that my PSA was like 1611. Something like that, sixteen nine. And this is a test where if you go beyond three or four, they uh, they really start getting tight cheeked. That's right. Yeah, it's five or six is where it's at. You know, but they start testing you. You know, but anyway, so they did a biopsy and the biopsy showed cancer in all six cells, and so I took pure. I took uh, ninety eight radiated pellets, and I took uh, 37 treatments of external radiation. And it knocked my PSA right down to like 0.1. And the the word was is the longer it stays down, the longer you have after it gets up, you die. Well, just around and it went straight back up again, and it, it got back up to 7 in a couple, three months. So this is when the doctor says, you got 18 months to live. Now, i got to tell you something. It's a, it's a, it's a real eye-opener when you're in yeah. perfectly good health and everything is going great. Your life is there to have 18 months to live. But my accountant said, if you want anything for the wife and the kids, you better sell it while you're alive. So we sold the uh, golf division and the gun barrel division and the fishing division, and and we hadn't heard about it list at that time, but there were some things that my wife and I wanted to do, so we're doing them. The thing was is we went to Africa, mm-hmm. and uh, we went to Zambia, and the area that we went to is... I don't know if there's any more. I'm sure there's more remote areas than this, but it was five days by truck 
they had to forge three rivers with, with pontoons where it was, then they chopped out a runway, chopped out a runway, and we lit there with a twin-engine airplane. But we were really out there where the owls and the owls and the hawks get together. So we're there, and we're hunting, and it happened to be my birthday. And so my partner that kind of went with us, my wife and he and him and his wife went, have to take anything for me for my birthday, which didn't mean need anything anyway. But so what he did is he hired to uh, ask the PH to have a witch. A witch doctor. Yeah, village about twenty miles from here, and it has a witch doctor. And he says, "I'd like to, I'd like to hire the witch doctor to to give my buddy a checkup." <laughs> so, so anyway, we we hunted, and one day we came in from the deal, and here's this the Africans and. Three, I guess you'd call them intern witch doctors and a witch doctor and a, and a missionary. And I said, what's going on? And they said, well, we're, I hired a witch doctor to check you over, check your, check, give you a checkup. So, you know, we thought that's kind of neat. So we got the doors out and the chanters started chanting and the, the drummers started drumming and pretty soon the, the witch doctor, he goes into a trance, and I don't think Michael Jackson learned the moonwalk. I think this guy knew it before he did, but <laughs> anyway, this guy, if this guy wasn't in a trance, I tell you what, he is the best actor i ever seen. I mean, he's sweating like, uh, you know, a five-year-old in a spelling bee, and, and uh, his eyes are rolled back in his head, and the missionary said, well, can he put his hands on you? Because... In Africa, it's they're, they're worried about AIDS. And I said, yeah, maybe he'll give me AIDS. I'll have five years to live instead of 18 months. So he, the witch doctor put his hands on my head and my neck and my shoulders and my arms and my waist and all the way down through my groin and my legs and all the way down to my feet. And the drummer stopped drumming and the chanter stopped chanting. And the, the witch doctor kind of came out of this trance that he was in and he talked to the missionary, and missionary said, well, you're in perfectly good health, but you have a sickness in your lower stomach. I got to tell you, everybody just looked at, looked at him like somebody just slammed him with a baseball bat. They said, well, who told him? He says, can any of you talk Wahili? <laughs> nobody could talk to the witch doctor, you know, and nobody told the deal, and... He said, well, if you come to my hut tomorrow, he says, this is through the witch doctor needle, I mean through the, the missionary, so you come to the, you come to the, my hut tomorrow and I'll have a remedy for you. And he says, uh, three empty vessels. So we took three washed out Diet Coke bottles, moved 20 miles to the hut. I mean, let, let's face it. How many of your listeners have ever have ever been diagnosed by a witch doctor? Pretty good. <laughs> well, I had one that I thought was one, but we won't go into that story. How many ever went to his office for an office call? <laughs> and so I thought, you know, this is pretty 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 neat stuff. So you know, we 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 go there. Now I got to tell you something. If you would have if you would have opened up a National Geographic in 1955, you'd have seen this village. 
I mean, very few people had any clothes. There was nothing in the village that looked like it came from outside of, of the area. And in this hut was this, you could tell it was a, been a fire there the whole time, and there was three brown clay vessels. It looked like a kind of a cone-type deal, but a flat bottom on it. And so he poured one into one of the Coke bottles, one into the other, one into the other, and then he poured a little back into each one of them, and he had them... I guess intern witch doctors take a little drink of it, and I guess it was to show that it wasn't poisonous or something. And so he said, take a tablespoon of this one at 10, a tablespoon of this one at noon, and a tablespoon of this one at 2. And then when you when the first one runs out, you can throw the other two away. So I asked the missionary, I said, well, geez, what can I do for the witch doctor? He said, nothing. I said, well, yeah. No, this is not a nothing deal. I mean, look what he's done and the time and the, the, the wonderful ex- story we have and experience and this type of stuff. And he said, oh, give, give him 10 bucks. I said, 10 bucks? 10 bucks? It'll never see the real world. This is this is the middle of no. Oh, he says, they know what, they know what greenbacks are. Now, I'm telling you, this place is in the middle of nowhere. And he says it'll be traded for a pig, and then it'll be traded for 15 chickens, and it'll be traded for something, 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 and pretty soon it'll get to the outside world. Somebody will spend it. He says, okay, well, I ended up also buying the village 600 pounds of rice also. But uh, anyway, so we're heading back to the to the camp, and I turned to the wife because her and I are, besides being husband and wife, she's also my best friend. I says, um, what do you think? Well, honey, she says, I think that they was practicing medicine about 2,000 years before ours were. And I said, well, you know, I was thinking the same thing. He says, so we got back and decided to take it, and I got me a tablespoon. And when we hunt, we hunt, me and the wife hunt in one rig, and, and my buddy and his wife hunts in another rig. And, Oh, I tell you, five minutes to ten, my buddy had called me on the radio. Gary, Gary, get the spoon out. Five minutes to ten. Five minutes to ten. Number one. <laughs> so, for 16 days, I never missed taking that stuff. And it was it was more of a, so I could get on the telephone with you and tell the story, I guess. I don't know. Because it was, it was no more than that. Yeah, you know, a lot of these people think, "Oh, geez, that's what that's what did it. That was it." Uh, and sometimes, sometimes I'm not too sure that mind over matter doesn't doesn't win out. But I got to tell you, I did it. It was more of a of a something to do. So I took it, and uh, by the time that we left Africa, I somewhat kind of forgot about it. Well, I was having to take my PSA every every uh, three months. By the way, I got back, and it was about another month before I had to take it, and I went in and took it. And we had all kind of expected it to be 9 to 10 by then, because it was 7 when I left. It was like 6, 9. And the doctor, he kind of looked at it, and I looked at it. And to tell you the truth now, I don't know if I really thought about it. He said, well, sometimes the tests vary and this type of stuff. And I never, you know, never thought too much about it. Came home, told my wife. I don't think we, I don't think we thought about it. Three months later, I went back and took it and it was four, eight, I think. Wow. Doctor said, I never seen this. 
He said, something, something's really funny here. Well, I, then I caught on. But I was kind of, uh, you know, you went where? You went to Africa and a witch doctor? What? <laughs> Tiptoed out of there and never said nothing. So three months later, I went back, took it again, and it was one seven. Oh, my God. I said, I got a story to tell you. <laughs> I won't I won't hold you guys up. Told them the same story I just told you. I said, what do you think? And he says, uh, I think I wished I knew what was in those three bottles. Yeah. No kidding. So, anyway, my PSA, I think it went down to like 0.7. Wow. Between 0.7 and 3 for 15, uh, 13 years. And now it started to go back up again. Hmm. It's safari time. <laughs> Man. I, I, I really. My my wife says if it goes up a little bit more, we're going back to Africa. Oh, I got to oh. say another story. So yeah. Well, about two years later, I get a I get a letter from the missionary, and and the missionary says that uh, writes a letter and he says uh, your witch doctor would like you would like to come to the United States and have you sponsor him. Okay. <laughs> and and he says, here's the things that he says he was uh, herpes, AIDS, uh, prostate cancer, cancer of a couple other kind of cancers. But then he got to the one that kind of made me think, maybe he is a quack. And it was... It was women's madness. <laughs> nobody, nobody can cure a woman when she's mad at us. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I, I probably threw a fortune away. How much, when your wife's mad at you, how much would you for a little vial to pour in her tea to get her not to be mad at you? <laughs> it wouldn't work. There's there's no such thing, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I, I kind of thought, too, but... Uh, but if he had it, it would be worth a lot of money. <laughs> oh, man. That was later well, on, I kind of come to my senses, and I thought, boy, did I blow that one. And he says, if you can't do that, just send clothing. So we sent a couple boxes, a big boxes of clothing. My gosh. Well, it uh, you know, this was how long ago, Gary? Oh, God. This is, uh... well, it was. Right, you know, I, I went over. I went over right after. You know, I got cancer. Uh, I sold the company in '96, I think it was. So I went over, and probably by the time we got it sold and everything done, I probably went over '97 or '98. So they gave you an 18 month uh, uh, to live, and here we are talking to you uh, almost at the beginning of uh, 2012, and you're alive and you're kicking and. And you're working with the fine folks over there at uh, North Fork, Fork Components. And and I, I, I guess, you know, we only have, uh, you know, five or six minutes left in the show. If you can tell us, what what are you doing over there at North, North Fork to uh, help uh, those people out? North Fork, it's, it's, it's my company. I, I um, started to build a company for my son. Uh, he, his kids uh, race in four-wheel racing and this type of stuff, and he worked, you know, at, at G. Loomis for 10 years after he got out of the Navy and worked there before he went into the Navy. And uh, and, and uh, he wanted a company to, to build stuff for four-wheelers and this type of stuff, so I had all of the equipment, so we set it up and we started running that. 
And uh, then it wasn't quite enough business, so we started making blanks. I did not have a non-compete clause, you know, period. And so we started making some blanks, and I was getting a lot of people. Blanks had changed quite a bit, and, and a lot of the people that I designed blanks for at the very beginning come back and said, hey, I want the old blanks back. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we started making some blanks for them, and then and, uh, all of a sudden my son decided he wanted to do something different, so he left. So uh, I'm making blanks for, well, I guess we got eight or ten other manufacturers now and making them for some custom builders and this type of stuff. And really looking for somebody that's got the enthusiasm that I did 30 years ago that would like to me to educate them and train them and get them up to stuff before I pull out and retire again. But I, I still love it. I can't wait to go to work like I used to. But I'm 70 now, and it's time to probably take my wife back to Africa or something. So, But I, well, but I love it. If uh, people want to learn more about North Fork Components, how's the best way to go about it, Gary? Fork Composites. Composites, I'm sorry. Yes. Get online, northforkcomposites.com. They can get get online. Jeez, I don't even know it. I don't get online. Yep, that's all right. Uh, You're doing uh, fly rods? You're doing saltwater rods? You're doing uh, freshwater bass rods? Or are you doing the whole gambit? Right now, now you know, I like... Steelhead fishing, bass fishing, trout fishing. So we've really got some great salmon rods and, and steelhead rods and trout rods, and they're forcing me to go back into fly. And we've got some some good fly rods. Uh, there's some new materials out there that I'm working on now, and I kind of don't want to come out with a, a real good big long line of fly rods yet because there's some new material on the horizon that's going to to really it's going to really be some good material. Uh, there's been a couple of these, this new stuff come out, but it's, I tried it six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, and it's just not what it's made out to be. So I'm not going to put my name on it. Well, Gary, I'm, again, I have a hundred more questions. I know Stan does. Uh, we're coming to the end of the hour over here. Yeah, I'd like to sit down and have lunch and just go backwards uh, ways. <laughs> oh, isn't that something? Gary, I can't thank you enough for being with us and spending uh, some of your uh, Sunday evening and and kind of uh, telling us about the history of graphite rods and a little bit about your personal life. And I hope we get an opportunity to talk to you again on Rod and Reel Radio. And- okay, well, we'll probably see you there and keep up the fishing because uh, it's the greatest outdoor sport there is. You bet. All right. 